0: Well, we are going through five weeks of a series on the five solas that are grounded in um, Christian doctrine of the Protestant church. Uh, it is no way that we are trying to attack the other uh, wings of, of Christendom, such as the uh, Eastern Orthodox Church or the Roman Catholic, but it is our attempt to focus na- mainly on what do the Protestants believe to be true in regards to faith and practice. And today, uh, I have the privilege of looking at uh, a few verses. I'm not looking at all of, all ten combined, but we're going to look mainly at verses 8 through 10 of Ephesians chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open up to that section. We'll look at other verses to support um, the doctrine of sola by f- by grace alone. The grace of God alone. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So when we think about our salvation, when we think about coming to know Jesus Christ as, as our Lord and Savior, some of you in this room maybe remember the, the story and the time, the experience when you came to saving faith. Some of you can testify and and recount that you were maybe in a Sunday school class and your Sunday school teacher began sharing the gospel. And and it was that day, it was that hour, that somehow the Spirit was softening your heart to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Some of you remember Vacation Bible School as the moment of that week where uh, message after message of, of the truth became known to you it it was personal to you and it made sense to you maybe there are some in this room remember a parent a mom or a dad who shared the gospel with you in a very personal way they shared with you that you are a sinner in need of god's grace and apart from god's grace you're separated from christ and if you would go from this life you would go into eternity lost forever and ever without the lord and that stirred your heart to receive the truth of salvation. Maybe that is your story. I heard another story of, a, of an individual that, that is personal to me, a friend. He remembers coming to know Jesus Christ through a youth group ministry. A friend invited him to come, and he began to listen to the youth pastor teach on Wednesday night. And night after night, Wednesday after Wednesday, the message of truth began to penetrate his own heart, and he remembered. He remembered when, when the youth pastor asked, if there's anyone in this room who would like to receive Jesus Christ as Lord, would you see me afterwards? And I would explain them more, um, more in detail to them. And he remembers going before his, that youth pastor and and bowing the knee that Wednesday night to receive Jesus Christ. Some of you, even in this room, might even say, you know what, I I came to know Christ under Billy Graham and the Billy Graham Evangelistic Crusade ministry. I went to one of the rallies and one of the crusades and sat in one of the arenas, and, and Billy Graham began to teach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I, like thousands, went forward to receive the Lord. Maybe that is your story. Maybe it's a story of conversion coming from one country to another, escaping prejudice and escaping injustice and, and, and trying to find freedom. And through the course of time, a Christian ministry began to, to influence your life to receive Christ. Maybe that is your story. If one of those stories has shaped you, It's a story of grace that has so profound and so changed your life that you have to have come to the place to understand that by grace alone, by grace alone can you enter into eternity. When we think about the other churches outside of Protestant evangelicalism, um, the other church wings, Eastern Orthodox and even the Roman Catholics, believe in grace And so what we want to emphasize here is not that they don't believe in grace, it's how they apply grace in the concept and understanding of salvation. So I want you to understand that we're not here to say that the Roman Catholics and and Orthodox Church don't believe in grace. They do, and they preach, and they teach, and they hold dearly to the grace of God. It's this term that we want to focus on, on loan. Salvation by grace alone. Nothing you can do. Nothing you can try to, to follow, no works, no, no method. It is simply to the cross I cling, Christ alone. So when we think about grace, we're focusing not only on God the Father, but namely on Jesus Christ the Son. John chapter 1, verse 16 says, fullness we have received all, grace upon grace. Jesus Christ is both filled with truth and he's 100% truth all the time. And at the same time, he's 100% graceful all the time. And that's where I would like to be. Is like, you know, he can, he can speak truth and he can speak grace all in the same conversation. And, and that just amazes me. And I need to emulate that as well. So what are we talking about here today? Grace. What is this beautiful story of Grace. Well, hymn writers of old love to talk about grace. We've actually sang some of the songs today that spoke of grace. Some of you might, uh, of, of, as being part of the Christian church, remember this old hymn. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf, gulf that God span at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Or maybe this song has been instrumental in your life as it has been in mine. All the way my Savior leads me, cheers each winding path I tread, gives me grace for every trial, feeds me with the living bread. Though my weary steps may falter and my soul a thirst may be. I love this line. Gushing from the rock before me, lo, a spring of joy I see. Gushing from the rock before me, lo, a spring of joy I see. I love some of the old hymns because it captures the moment of the story called grace. Grace alone for your salvation. There are two primary verbs uh, in chapter 2 that I like for you to see that are important. If, if you were to look at and we were to study the whole of chapters verses 1 through 10, ver, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Two primary verbs it's the word to walk. You'll see this um, in verse 4 of your passage. Notice what he says. Uh, in, he goes, But God being rich in mercy because of his great love, which which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together by grace you've been saved but notice what he says the way you were once walking in the pattern of this world this is what you used to do you you walked in verse 1 he says once you walked but now you're following this course or following the prince and the power of the air verse verse 2 he moves through this idea that you're walking not only as what it used to be, you were in sin, but now you're made alive in grace. But now he drops down, and he says this in verse 8, the, the, the central piece of our, our message today. For by grace you've been, what? You've been saved through faith. This was not your own doing. And then he says in verse 10 that you should walk in it. So two primary verses, the idea of walking in. In grace, when you come to saving faith, now you are walking grace moments each and every day. You are looking at what God has done in your life, and you're coming to the grips with your own um, sin and your own um, uh, ways of walking. And now you're obeying God, and the only way you can obey God is by understanding the concept of grace. So let's define it for you. So if you have some room on your your handout, uh, let's define grace. Grace is a free gift. It's unmerited. Nothing you did to receive the gift. It's unmerited. It comes from God's heart. It's unmerited. Not by works. Nothing you did to earn this free gift. Uh, my daughter Lydia had a friend come over to our house to play, and her parents came over as well. Dropped her off, came to the door, and uh, Lydia's friend's dad said, "I see you have a Cooper Mini sitting in your driveway. Is that yours?" And I said, "Yeah, it, it is." He goes, "Well, you know, I, I had a Mini Cooper, and I, I just I didn't like it." And well, anyways, uh, before I, I got rid of it, I, I bought some mini Cooper rims and some brand new tires. And he goes, I don't know what to do with them. They're sitting in my barn. Would you like to have them? I was like, uh, I don't, I don't, know, what to dis- I don't know what to think about this. And I know this, this gentleman is not a believer, so sh- should I offer him some money? Should I just receive it as a gift, a free gift? So I, I you know... She, her friend stayed for about maybe three hours, and I, I was just troubled by this. Lord, should should I receive this? These four tires. Now I needed some new tires. Um, I I I, I did I did need uh, one of the. Uh, I thought one of my wheel bearings was going on the back end of uh, the rear. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna have to change that. And uh, so, this this gentleman drops off. I mean, they're they're brand new, tires. I mean. Brand name, the rims are nice. And, and I would have to imagine he probably invested a good thousand dollars between the, the tires and the rims. That's, that's my, my best estimation. That's a lot. I, I wouldn't spend that much on my, on my uh, Mini Cooper. I was just satisfied with the, with the I had a missing hub cap. So I'm like, I'm, I'm good with it. You know, it gets me to point A to point B without any problems. Okay? So it's a free gift. And and I, again, I'm troubled by this because I I feel I got to do something that I owe this gentleman, that he's gonna he's gonna give me these four tires, out of his heart, whatever that heart is. He's gonna give it to me free. Nothing, nothing. I don't have to write a check. I I, I don't have to work for it. And 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 this is the problem with each one of us. It's like we have to work. To earn something. There's something within us that, that we have to do before God. And, and that's the same way with, with getting a free gift. It's like, is there any, is it, is it, if I turn my head, am I going to get hit? I mean, if I receive, is there some, is there some catch to this free gift? Now, now the fact is, beloved, beloved the, the fact is there's nothing free in this life. My kids talk about this all the time, that, oh, we get a free lunch today. No, someone paid for that. Someone paid so you could get a free lunch, and it might be your taxes, right? Yes. So there's nothing free. In the, so, so in the back of my mind, it's like, should I? I was just troubled in spirit for a good couple hours, like, I don't know if I should accept this. these and, and then in the back of my mind, what if these tires are like a joke? Like they're 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 worse than my tires, and the rims are all rusted. Should should I mean you ever wonder about that? It's like someone's gonna drop something. It's like getting a um a free coffee maker. I had a gentleman in my first church said, Pastor, um, I'm gonna drop off my espresso machine to the church. I'm like really? I said, well, why are you going to drop off your new, your, your espresso machine to the church? He goes, well, I don't have any need for it because I bought a new one. You're going to give the church an old espresso machine and you bought yourself a new one? So that's, that was in the back of my mind. Like, okay, is this gift really, really, good? this gift was nice. It was good. And when I got it, I was like, well, thank you, Lord, for this free gift from this man. Who I met for the first time. There are really some, even unbelievers, who are truly gracious in their giving. I'm not sure why. What motivates that? Is it God? Don't know. Is it the Spirit? I don't know. But they're giving. And there are some unbelievers, even in your neighborhoods, who are very gracious, more gracious than Christians at times. And they give even their shirt off their back. That's how giving they are. I want you today in this passage to see the heart of God granting you grace. Grace. So, why does God save us? He gives us this unmerited gift, this free gift that that we don't have to work at, we don't have to work for. It's not like I have to go and do something. He gives it out of his loving heart, and there is a cost behind it. He gives his son, that's the cost. The cost is on the Lord. He takes, the, he takes the, 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 the debt that we could not pay and he applies it on his son and, and his son's death on the cross, you receive. Isn't that sound so simple? You receive this gift. The gift is given out to you. You're to receive it, right? Receive the gift today. That's what this passage is saying. This is what the Reformers were trying to emphasize, um, is, is their understanding between what the Roman Catholic Church was emphasizing. The Roman Catholic Church emphasized and the Orthodox Church emphasized this, that grace and works together receive salvation. Now, it's not just grace. It's also what you do. You put action to it. Now, to be honest, even within Protestant circles, there's a misapplication of grace. Even some of our Protestant churches have abused and even sometimes emphasize works that I gotta get baptized, I need to join a church, I need to do this, I need to be serve as a trustee or a deacon, you list a Sunday school teacher, and these things that I do, along with God's grace, makes me a Christian. And friends, no. Nothing you can do can earn a spot, a place in God's family, but by grace alone. So this is a hard fact. That that you have to receive what? You have to receive this grace and believe it satisfies the wrath of God, his grace, merited to unmerited to you, nothing you did. And I think this is the the fact. This is why he says in in chapter two, verse four, but God being rich in mercy. So the question might come to your mind: Well, why why does God save? Why does God save me? Why does God save you? Well, he answers the question in verse four. He said, "But God being what? Being rich in mercy, rich in mercy." Um, as I teach students, they often ask me, and I know I've shared this before, that. The, the difference between grace and mercy are like my, my the width of my two hands is outstretched, right? On one end, you have mercy. On the other end, you have what? God's grace. Students come and they say, well, you know, uh, I, 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 I'm going to be late with my assignment and I need you to extend, you name it, God's grace. Mercy's on one end, grace is on the end. And yet they're, they're, they're often uh, miss. Quoted and what actually is the individual asking for they 're asking not for grace because grace is unmerited, grace comes from god grace is is a gift that you didn 't expect that was coming to your 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 it 's a blessing it's, it's it 's unexpected comes from god it's, so so I can be graceful yes but but it's it's what this is how I would uh, even maybe emphasized some more. Grace is when a teacher says that there's a project due and they show up the next day and say, you don't have to do the project anymore. All the work that you were working on, you're like, well, what? why couldn't they just, I just woke up today and said, ah, we're not going to do the project anymore. That's, that's what? That's a form of grace. Mercy is I'm late with my mortgage, even though the bank uses it as a, what? as a grace period. It's actually a merciful period. I might get 10 days. It's due on the 5th, right? It's due on the 5th, but I, I get 10 more days until the 15th. And, and after the 15th, I earn some late payments, Right? So it really is a merciful period that where I actually, it should be due on the 5th. The bank could say, no, Joel, it is due on the 5th. The and anything outside the 5th is, is late. You know, I know our credit cards work on that, on that realm, right? I mean, maybe you've ever been late with a credit card. By one minute, you forgot to make that online payment. They don't care. They're not merciful to you. They're like, well... It was just one second, there was a hiccup on my internet, you know, it's late, no mercy. But God being what? This is why he says, this is why salvation is so great, when we talk about the concept of grace, that both mercy and grace flow together, that God withholds his just punishment for our sin. The just punishment for our sin is, you should know this if you're a Christian today, that you're just punishment. You deserve God's wrath. And God's wrath means you're separated from him in a place uh, in eternity called hell. That, that's the place that is reserved. Or as the scripture in Revelation says, it's the lake of fire. The unquenchable place where water cannot calm the thirst. Separated in torment from God. Now, I'm here, not here to scare you. I'm here to see that if you don't receive grace today, you're separated from God. You're separated from Him. So, God being rich in mercy because of His great love, verse 4 says, This is why God sends His Son to die for us. So, I'm going to try to make this really simple today as you look at your outline. You're like, I just want to get to the outline and then go home. Well, so i give you four things I want you to think, all coming from the passage, looking at verses 8 through 10. So join with me as we kind of fill out the outline together, and, and I try not to spin any of the words, but directly just take the concepts that Paul gives to us right here in regards to grace alone. So number one, when we think about grace, I want you to see in verse 8 is that we are saved by grace, Okay. We're saved by grace. Now, I've defined it for you. It's the unmerited gift of God. We didn't deserve it. It comes out of God's heart. It's, and, and I like the key word. It's unexpected, okay? Grace is unexpected. We, didn't, we, we, we thought we're like, whoa, boy, sin really separates. Yes, it does. Sin separates you from God, and you need a, a, a payment to be done, but you couldn't pay it. There was nothing you could do to pay off God. The debt was too much. I have a friend who uh, lived here in the area and worked for a grocery, out, um, a grocery chain. And he decided to change jobs recently. And uh, about a year ago, he, he moved from um, the northern Illinois area down to the Indianapolis area. Um, a metropolitan area and started working for a food chain there as a buyer. And last week, uh, they, so they decided for, for a year they would rent a house in the Indianapolis uh, area. And and so last week they finally closed on their house for, for you know, they were pretty excited. They were going to start, you know, gaining some roots down in the community. Their kids were involved uh, in school really enjoying the church that they were serving and all, you know, all the parts of moving. The day after they signed their, their, their closure on their house and got the keys, their company declared bankruptcy, chapter 11. He walked into work, received his pink slip, gone, okay? Wow. All right. So I call that the sin of the company. The company didn't, and and I I pulled up the company. I I was talking to my dad, and and he he knows this gentleman. They were $68 million um, in loss. Let me just say this. They they owed $68 million alone just for retirement benefits that they weren't paying for the last uh, 10 years. That's how much. And then another $22 million of revenue that they owed to... um, vendors and and, uh, distributors that they, I mean, so we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars, just rent, not being paid. And here's this, here's a friend of mine who leaves one job to go to another, signs, he's like, I don't know what to do. So I talked to him and I said, well, you're a man of grace you've been saved by grace and you're covered by grace even in the hour of trouble that you're going through. I want you to understand grace is personal. You get to receive it today. And it gets worked out in your life in all sorts of different ways. It gets worked out in your conversation that you have with people. You get to apply what? Grace with people. You get to experience grace when you look out at a sunset, to the west, and maybe you're traveling, and you see the sun setting, you're like, wow, that was was so beautiful, and you see the the scarlet, uh, the thread in the sky, you're like, wow, that's grace. This afternoon, you get to have a meal. That's grace. The grace of God given to you. Some people have defined grace this way. God's riches, At Christ's expense. Maybe someone has shared that with you. God's riches at Christ's expense. No, grace is much more than that, it's personal. Sola gratia meant grace at the start, grace to the end, grace in the middle. Grace without fail, grace without mixture, grace without addition, grace that allows no boasting, grace that precludes all glorifying but in the Lord and in the Lord alone. Grace. Grace everywhere. Grace in every moment, in every situation. The Wesleyans of the Methodist church used to define that in every conversation there were exchanges of grace being done. One pastor friend of mine says at every meeting, when they are meeting together for their annual monthly meetings, he say we are now exchanging grace between one another. We have entered into a holy convocation. I like that. Something to think about. Why? Because we're exchanging grace. And so biblical scholars and theologians of old used to define grace this way. There is common grace given to all. Meaning this, that, that grace when the sun sets, right, is, is, is the same grace for an unbeliever as it is for a believer. There is the unchristian farmer who, who sees the rain fall on his, on his property, as well as the Christian farmer who goes to church and is involved in his reading and studying and praying and, and seeks to live under God's authority, receives the same blessing from God. Everyone receives common grace. The problem with common grace is that common grace doesn't save. Common grace doesn't do it. It's it's God's uh, benevolent kindness toward people. Uh, People get to have babies, right? People get to have homes, we get to have shelter, we get to have food, we have cars, we get to enjoy gasoline being put in the cars, we get to go places, we, 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 we have jobs, we, we, we have maybe retirement that is coming to us. Whatever the situation you have received, God's benevolent kindness given toward you. Now, you didn't deserve common grace. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. Common grace is the air we breathe. Maybe it's the trip to the Niagara Falls to see the water descend. And you're like, wow. Or maybe it's the Yosemite National Park that you get to go to on vacation and enjoy the scenery. Common grace given to all of mankind. Well, Joel, what about the people on the other side of the world who live in huts who live in, in, in what we would call third-world situation, common grace. God still gives to them what? A day for them to live, a day for them to harvest their crops, a day to, to raise their family. Don't, don't try to, to say, well, you know, you know what? God has blessed you even more, hasn't he? The same amount of blessing that God gives to all people, all places, through all all time. So there's common grace given to all. And, and it's what we call, the, as, as theologians, you can write this down, the means of grace. Um, some uh, denominational affiliations that maybe you've been historically a part of consider the, the Lord's table as a means of grace, of, of, of receiving God's blessing. Some say that, uh, you know, praying to God is a means of God's grace, receiving God's kindness uh, in a day, as the Wesleyans define conversation, you know, speaking to one another is a means of grace. Receiving God's benevolent kindness in, in conversation and in exchange and in blessing. So, so grace in all places and in all situations. Grace could even be the reading of scripture. Grace is enjoying the creation today, going for a walk with maybe your spouse or your children seeing your kids play on the playground set. Some in the Reformed tradition would say that's, that's seeing grace being displayed before their very eyes. I like for us to see, number two, is that there is a, a difference between common grace, common grace given to all, and this is a, the way is the term effectual grace, grace that saves, Or another way to say it is efficient grace. Grace that is efficient to save alone. For that's what Paul is trying to distinguish here between what works is, works done, as he says, works done by men to appease God. And Paul says, no, that's not what I want you to see here. I want you to see that that grace is efficient to save and save, as the Protestant tradition has said, alone. The word alone. Do you believe that grace alone makes a way for you to be forgiven by God? Grace. So what is this efficient or effectual grace? It's the work of God alone to raise a spiritual dead corpse into a life-giving person. That's what he's saying here in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, For you were dead in what? What were you dead in? You were dead in your trespasses of sin, in which you once walked. There's that verb, following the course of this world. So he's showing you what it looked like to be a non-believer. You were dead in your what? In your sin. And you needed a spiritual awakening to take place in your life. You needed someone to awaken your dead body to life. You didn't do that. God does that. God takes a little boy in a Sunday school room, a man who teaches faithfully each week, pours into his lesson, lots of little children there during the sermon, listening to their children's sermon, and week after week, pouring into little kids' lives. My parents sent me down to the basement. I didn't want to go down there that day. But somehow, that man, Mr. Williams, shared the gospel, and my heart was ready to receive God's grace. Nothing I did, nothing Mr. Williams did outside of what? Faithfully teaching each week, praying through his lesson, praying for... His, his kids as they were coming into kids church and he had a responsibility, he fulfilled his responsibility very, very well but God doing the what? The work of opening Joel's heart Joel's mind opening my deaf ears to hear the truth of God's grace you remember the as I opened that there are individual stories that shape you. Some of you might have remembered that maybe you're the individual that pulls off on the side of the, of the road because you hear a Christian song on the radio. For my dad, and when he was in Baghdad, it was a missionary that came from, Pal- from uh, Palestine into Iraq on a revival missionary, as he would call it, and it was at the church where this man opened God's word and they, he received the Lord Jesus Christ as his savior. And when he came to the country, he met a man. It was looking for a Christian. A man gave him a tract that re-emphasized the fact that grace alone is what saves. Grace alone applied to a sinner's heart. So there's a story that's shaping you and so then there is the need for you and I to apply grace every day in our life. I, I want you to see grace this. Okay, it's God's work, but then I get to I get to do this. I get to apply grace in my conversation. I get to apply grace in, in my witness. I get to apply grace all the time. And you and I get to see grace displayed through the act of praying. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of... Can you finish the sentence? What is it? The throne of what? Grace. Why? That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In my conversations, I get to apply grace. And so, as Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7 says, I have the opportunity to build one another up in Christ. But grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. Each one of you, when you come to saving faith by grace alone, God opens your heart, you receive the gospel And all of a sudden, the Spirit now indwells in you. And as the Spirit comes into your life, He grants to you what we call grace gifts. Gifts that we get to employ in the context of the church. And some of us might have the gift of administration, helps. Um, Some of us serve. Some will get, get to sing. Some are teachers. All sorts of gifts are being displayed by God's people. And these are what we call grace gifts. We get to build each other up through grace. Each one received gifts, and so then we're to serve one another as a response of God's grace. Let me give you another one. Colossians 4, verse 6 says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to ought to enter each person. Seasoned with what? Salt. Always gracious. I love that try to teach our children that when you speak to your brother or sister, you're to to speak with very gracious words. What what is grace again? The unmerited what? Unmerited favor, God's blessing. God's blessing on people. You ever told people, and this is what I like to do, God's blessing on you. Blessings today. Blessings to you. And in my emails, even to non-Christians, blessings what, what am I saying? I, I'm, I'm saying that God's common grace be on you. May your life have, and I don't want to use the word fortune, but that's the idea. May God's blessing go before you. I mean, you don't want them to, uh, people struggle with cancer, neighbors, right? People lose jobs, neighbor. Broken relationship, neighbor. All sorts of people in, in my world that are impacted by sin and all they need is to hear from Joel is a very gracious word. Can you do that today because of God's grace on your life? Let me give you a second one. We're saved through faith. This is what he says in verse 8 through 10, that section. He, he wants to hone in on this. He says, for grace you've been saved through what? Through f- faith and and the other uh, preachers and pastors will be sharing what this faith looks like. But let me just share with you a few thoughts here that, that faith then is this. Faith is trusting in God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. So faith is a, is a trust here. Faith is, is, a, is the conduit by which we receive God's grace. Grace. We're trusting in the Lord. We're trusting that His grace is what is acceptable and what is required. The second thing faith is, it's often connected to our, our feelings. We talked about experiences. Faith is to be modeled in joy. If, if if God has saved you by grace, there ought to be joy out of your life. There, there should be some joyful expression. Praise God I'm saved, right? I, 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 I've been cleansed, I've been redeemed. And some people do it in different ways, through worship. They, they might even hold up their hands and, and, and realize that, whoa, God has been gracious to me. People do it through testimony, how they talk about the way God has stirred their hearts. Jesus talked about how faith is connected to feelings. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy goes and sells all that he has and buys that, that field. That's how faith is connected to feelings. Joy fills your heart. Once grace enters into your life, nothing stops. It, 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 there should be a joy. You're not a curmudgeon Christian. You're not a Christian that, that just is like, oh, with me. That's horrible if you are. God grant you his grace to awaken you. Amen? You, listen, grace again. Grace apply, Grace in, in, in the middle. Grace in my going. Grace all the time. This is what the reformers were trying to communicate to the church. That God makes us alive by grace. So that we can walk in his good works and plan for our life. Then he says the, 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 the biblical scriptures talk about faith in, in things not seen. That's what Hebrews chapter eleven, verse one says. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the, the conviction of things not seen. What what is that they're not seeing? The Old Testament individuals to which Hebrews eleven is speaking of. F- friends, the Old Testament people didn't see the culmination of what? of Jesus Christ's death on the cross, that's what they were looking for. Now they saw glimmers and, and, and little threads of that in the Old Testament, and, and even were acquainted with, with, with Abraham in the Old Testament when he's offering up his son Isaac on the altar, and, and Jesus gives us this, this hope and this image, and he spotlights, and he said, Abraham saw my day and was exceedingly glad. What did he see? He saw God's grace, applied through a ram that was caught in some branches, a bush. And when Abraham saw it, Jesus says he saw my day, the day he would give up his life as a ransom for many. So what did they see? They were believing God that one day they would, that God would send a Messiah, a son to make all things right through his own shed blood on a cross. Now, the passage goes and continues to think through this as we move through here. Verse 9 talks about that we're not saved by good works. So there's nothing that you and I can do. There's no service, service program that you can sign up to to merit God's love applied for salvation. Nothing you can do. Simply through the cross I come and I cling to, and what we're saying there is this: that that we believe by grace alone can I enter into eternity until uh, my sins are forgiven. So well, then, what does He say here in regards to good works? There's nothing. There's nothing that I can do. But but good works is the fruit. Of salvation, that's where he's going here. He's saying that, that salvation, as it has its finality in your life, as Christ comes in, as grace you receive the gift of God, it's not a result of you doing something. If you were to do something, then it's grace plus works, it's merit, it's merit upon merit. It's my good grades, it's it's my what I do. And God says there's nothing you can do. The debt's too great. The company that filed chapter 11 on my friend and all the host of other employees that that were working for that company, the debt is too great. You could do nothing. There was no sacrifice, there was no work but Christ. Christ alone. And you'll eventually get to hear a message on Christ alone for your sin. So what then is good works here? Good works is the fruit of salvation. It's, it's the byproduct of a tree planted by streams of water, yielding fruit in season. It, it is the, the fruit that, that does not wither but lasts. Good works is, is, is the proof of your salvation. That that it's, it's the testimony. It's, that's the byproduct here that, that Paul is trying to, to emphasize, that it's God's ultimate good work in your life. And he wants to emphasize that the fact to the, to the Jews of that day, that good works is powerless to save. The law could not do what grace could do. The law was powerless to save. The law... Uh, showed and spotlighted sin but it could not redeem matter of fact i i I often ask and and think about the scripture what then was the law therefore the law was there to stir the heart of of the individual to see and spotlight sin in their life and say whoa i am in need of what grace i'm in need of god's love God's kindness. The law served as a teaching device to show how far you were literally off. It was the, what teachers define as the rubric. It was the rubric that defined the assignment. And, and the teacher grades your assignment and you find like, whoa, I didn't do this, I didn't do this, I didn't do this. And there's my score, right? That's what the law did. It was a a teacher. It was a mechanism to stir your heart to see who God is, that he was always right and always good and benevolent and kind toward us in all gracious and compassionate ways. But good works is powerless to save. And I give some passages that you can look at at a later period for you to apply in your life. But then he closes in verse 10, as I make my way to the closure here, that that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Imagine that gentleman that came to my house and dropped off four tires, brand new. Brand new rims. Gives it to a person. Let's just imagine for a moment that he is a believer in Jesus Christ. How much more joy would fill his heart in that gift? Uh, Brothers and sisters, I would say 10,000 times, 10,000 more pleasure taken taken in by that gentleman because he's a believer in Jesus Christ because he's received what? A, A better gift than tires and rims. He's received what? Infinite, unfathomable riches of God's grace given to him. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So how is this how is God's works described? Well, in 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 many ways, Scripture has defined it as, as personal conviction. Personal conviction. Uh, John chapter 16, verse 8 says, He he comes, when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. God placing in your life personal conviction. And and you realize that, wow, for we are His workmanship. God is working on us, and He is applying His grace in our life. And, and, And His grace, through the work of the Holy Spirit... Reveal sin. That's a good thing to know, that the Holy Spirit reveals sin and convicts us. So when we're doing something wrong, we're, we're quick to respond to the Lord and not go for days and weeks and months and go unrepentant. But the Holy Spirit applying his grace in our life, and we realize, whoa, yeah, I, I am far away from God right now, and I need Forgiveness. We are his workmanship, he says in verse 10. And, and what he's saying here is that, that it's a personal gift that you and I get to receive. That God is working in each one individually in a special, unique way. God's showing up through a Sunday school teacher. God's showing up through a Bible study. God's showing up on a radio station. God, God, God's grace everywhere. Through a personal conversation, a personal gift that you and I get to receive, that becomes part of the workmanship that Christ is developing in our own life, our story that we get to share of what God has done on behalf of people in all sorts of places. Lastly, it's a personal experience, this workmanship, this work that God is creating in us. It's the poem. God is writing a poem on our lives of personal experiences of God's grace shown. It's in relationships being restored. It's seeing children come to also a personal relationship with Jesus. Doesn't that just make you happy to know when you see your own children come to saving faith in Christ? The same grace given to you is the same grace given to my children. And the same grace applied through all sorts of ethnicity and nationalities all over the world. It's the same grace applied to the offender in what? In prison. Same grace. But each person right now in this room has a personal story, a personal experience of receiving God's grace. And one of the greatest stories I know is a man named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You ought to read that on your own this week. He asks a great question, how can I be born again? It's a simple question. And he says to Nicodemus, you should know this. You're a a teacher. You're you're a person devoted to the scripture. You've, You've studied the scripture. You should know this, Nicodemus. But Nicodemus was so far off from God's grace that God began to draw into him and pull him in. And Nicodemus becomes a man of faith by God's doing through a simple conversation that Jesus has with him. And it's a personal experience. I mean, Jesus says, you know... Uh, the the mystery of salvation is so mysterious. The wind blows where it wishes in John chapter three. You ever hear just like, wow, I can't believe that person comes to save me. I can't believe they received Christ today. Well, you're kidding me. The wind blows. And every once in a while when I hear the wind blow in the fall, in the fall day, and we're oh, don't talk about fall, it's coming soon. But and you hear the the whistling of of the wind on, on Memorial Day. You, all you hear was a At least in my house, I was hearing that. I mean, that's like the Holy Spirit just blowing on people all sorts of places, all places, all times. And each person is receiving a personal experience of God's grace written on their life. God is writing a poem. A poem on your life. You are God's letter, Paul writes. A chapter each day being written By the works that you do and the words that you say, men read what you write, whether faithful or true, just what is the gospel according to you. God is writing his work of grace on your life. Would you be willing to receive it today if you've not surrendered your life to Christ? It's a free gift. It's a free gift. It's a free gift of God's benevolent kindness to you. You don't have to work for it. You just simply have to receive it. You don't have to think about it either, right? Because when the minute you think about it, the doubt comes in. You're like, well, i got to do something. And I'm saying nothing. You don't have to do anything but what? But receive God's kindness, God's grace given to you. And if you know Jesus today, He's giving you this grace to share with others. Today might be a conversation that you have with someone to give them a blessing. It might be in the display of someone else blessing you and you don't even know that individual. And let me just say this, receive it as God's kindness towards you so that you can pass it on to someone else. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you take our hearts and you change us. You make us new by the power of, of your son's resurrection from the dead. God, I ask that uh, in these moments that we have left uh, on this earth, might we dispense grace to all sorts of people. Might we also cherish our own story of grace when that individual, or person, entity, organization had a deep, meaningful, a meaningful uh, part in showing us the gospel? Let us not forget, but let us do as well to help others see grace by grace alone. We are saved. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.